Welcome to our Social Impact, brought to you by the Prison Scholar Fund. The PSF's mission is to provide education and employment assistance to help currently and formerly incarcerated people succeed and thrive in society, while avoiding homelessness and the revolving door of re incarceration. The PSF also advocates for reform in correctional education to increase opportunity for all. As a nonprofit, we rely on investments, volunteers, and are always looking for board members to champion our mission. Please connect with us through our website at prisonscholars.org, where you can find volunteer opportunities, make a contribution, and learn more about becoming a board member. You can also email us at info at prisonscholars.org and find us through most social media platforms at Prison Scholars. Become a patron by supporting us directly at Patreon with at Prison Scholars. We appreciate your review of this podcast through whatever platform you listen through. Without further ado, here's Dirk Van Velsen, founder and CEO of the Prison Scholar Fund. Welcome to our social impact. Today we have Selena Taylor. So I just met you today, so this is a brand new thing, so I'm going to learn about you as we talk. Okay. So tell me all about yourself. Okay, well, I'm Selena. We did just meet today through Hakeem. Um, I go to class out here at Jackson College. Um, I knew, I've been knowing Hakeem for basically all my life. And when he started this movement on trying to end mass incarceration, that's sort of where I came in. Um, I've been incarcerated before. It has affected my life greatly. Oh, yeah. Tell me your story. How did you end up in prison? And then also, how did you end up in college? So that's um, a good, great transition. Yeah, they kind of go together a little bit. So I'll tell you a little bit about okay. it. Um, in 2005, I went to prison for selling drugs. And I got out in 2009. And I began to go through the system of things once you get home from incarceration and it was really hard after doing all the years in prison and then coming home and jumping through all the loops that were out here waiting for me yeah talk about the transition because um, there's so many barriers that you face the transition for a woman a mother it was horrific i'm still not fully transitioned and i've been home for nine years um, one of the first things I was met with when I got released the very same day, I was met with a list of about 24 instructions of things that I had to do. For your probation mm -hmm. or parole? Okay. And what I found most difficult is that I had just came home. I had been incarcerated for years. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any job skills. And I didn't have a vehicle. But I had a whole entire list of instructions that I needed to follow. Most of the instructions were filled with classes and mandatory classes that I had already taken while I was in prison. Kind of like their behavior change theory classes, things yeah, like that. Yeah, things like that. Drug classes, AA, which some of the things don't even apply to you, especially if you're not an alcoholic and if you weren't a drug addict. But what I found out is if you sell drugs, you're gonna have to go through all of this stuff anyway you're in the same pools. it's a yeah it's a program type thing so, so did you have a drug addiction too or are you just no, making money i was just making money they considered me like a career criminal so i wasn't understanding all the classes and stuff that i had to take but i learned later on that it's just a part of the system and what you have to do to get through it so again i've been home for almost nine years and 
I never got rehabilitated, I never felt from them. I felt once that I got home from doing the prison time, I felt more barriers getting home. Yeah, it's like, we're not really in the city here, so what was it like to to try to exist without a license? Um, it It was terrible. There was a lot of standing out in the cold, waiting for bus stops. There was a lot of walking in the wintertime with no choice. And we're in Michigan, so that's not, and we're that's in not Michigan. warm. And in the it was like, we have below zero weather here. And some of that weather, me and my children felt that trying to get to where we needed to get to, to get business handled. You have to handle business in life. And so that is where um, I met up with Hakeem some years later. Recently here in the last couple of years, he's been on this mission to kind of fight for changes within the criminal <clears throat> department prison system. And I started thinking about that, like, wow, a lot of that stuff has affected me. And so I began to start using my voice and telling a little bit of my story about how it's been for me since being home from incarceration as a woman. We don't hear much of that from women. Yeah. It's funny how the, the system is really kind of stacked against you in some ways. Like in my case, I got 15 years for commercial burglaries, which is basically breaking to warehouses and businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's clearly wrong. But right when I got sentenced, the prosecutor was kind of mad because I, t- I took a deal and I think she wanted me to do more time. So she's looking at 20, hoping I was going to do 25 years. So since she didn't get that, she says, okay, I'm going to invoke RCW, whatever it was, and says, because you use a vehicle in the commission of a crime, we're going to take your, your driver's license away for three years. So in her mind, after I do 15 years in prison, then I would not have a driver's license for three years as I'm trying to transition out mm-hmm. and get a job. But the, the funny part about that was when I got sentenced is when the judge started that clock ticking. So from 2001 to 2004, I didn't have a driver's license. But I was also in prison at the time, so it didn't matter. Wow. But she intended for in addition to all this time we're going to give you, we're also going to take your license and make it really hard for you to transition. So you do understand that it's it's a lot of barriers to coming home from incarceration while from the inside you're all excited, thinking you're yeah. coming home, Woo-hoo. you got all this freedom coming, your family, and once you set your feet to the pavement of freedom, it is not like that at all. It's like you went from one prison to another prison, and only this prison just happens to be in the outside world. And, and that's the prison you're talking about. It has to do with the, the was it parole you're under? Or it's probation? parole. It's okay. definitely parole. And even in the parole system, some of us get put right on the tether you know they have those tethers they put on your ankle oh yeah the the ankle monitor oh yeah they put those right on you too along with your parole and then they expect you to go out and get a job with a big refrigerator on your ankle yeah and do they charge you too for the yeah and you pay for that and you get it on why you don't have money why you why you're still unemployed you still so what do they charge you for the monitoring it's like if you if you're not employed they charge like 15 dollars a week that adds up really quick depending on how long you have to be on it sometimes they put you on it for six months so you know you can kind of do the math on that yeah, but i figured you're high risk so we'll when you're desperate to just be out here you just find ways to pay it yeah you know you feel like I'm on tether and that's better than jail or prison, but really it's, it's not because what you're doing is you're accumulating debt that you already can't afford yeah, all just... from trying to just be free. So what's it, what's it like to try to get a job? Now, you don't have a card, you got the tether, 
You're uh, um, now you need to find a place to live and a this job. This is this is why I'm here in the college now. I call it better late than never. <laughs> I um left the prison with only a GED. They know everything about you when you leave. They know if you're sick. They know they know everything yeah. when you leave these prisons because they're responsible for you. So when I left the prison, of course, I didn't have any money. I had a parole agent. She gave me all these lists of things to do. I couldn't find a job good enough to take care of myself and pay everything, let alone my probation fee. You know, probation isn't, parole isn't free. Yeah. The minute you get out, the day they hand you that paper, you have money obligations to whatever state you're in. You have monthly or weekly money obligations that you must pay them. So employment right away is required. Like they want you to have a job ASAP. That's part of condition. Yeah. But yet once you get out into the world, the world is not ready for you. The parole officers are ready to give out the employment rules, the class rules and all this stuff. But the world and the systems are not designed nor prepared to help you as an ex-felon and as a prisoner that just got home. So, so, if, so if you could like wave your magic wand and make it, make it the transition process better, what would you do? The first thing that needs to be done, honestly, is that when a judge sentenced you to, let's just say, for me, I got four years. So when my four years was up, I just wanted to be let out of that gate. What's all the extra? The classes, my money, the rules on me, the curfews. Now, I feel strongly that those things should apply to child sex offenders only. Even a murderer has murdered, done their time, and they need to transition in the world to freedom again. But a child sex offender needs to be watched, healed, monitored, and helped. A thief, a check writer, a drug dealer... All we need to do is transition into getting the proper help we need once doing the years of incarceration for our original crimes. Now, the, all that reoffending is an individual thing. We don't need to be kept up with as reoffenders because what are the court buildings for? What are the police for? This, I've been in it, so I feel like it was another form of slavery for me. I felt, I still feel it today as nine years of being home. I felt like this entire time that I've been home from incarceration, that I have jumped through slavery hoops to get here. Minimum wage jobs, working two of them at a time to try to make one decent amount of money. It never worked. When you have children and a family, you, and you have ex- you know, criminal stuff on your record and everywhere you go to try to get a good job, they hold you down because of that. We have to do something about that. I felt like, and I still feel like I've been in prison after leaving prison. Yeah. And how long were you on parole for? Um, I was on parole for two and a half years. That was a long two and a half years. Was that like a two and a half years? of? Did you get a good time and that's where the two and a half year window um, came from? No, what happens is when you get out of parole, they choose, excuse me, when you get out of prison, I don't know who actually makes that choice for you, but they choose somebody, how long. Somebody decides. Yeah, someone decides how long you are going to be monitored in your own home, in your community, 
someone decides that and the time of it is never small. It always has to be over a year. So I did like two and a half years. I did a successful parole, of course, because I was scared. I didn't want to get locked back up. But the way that the world is set up for us people that have um, felony backgrounds, I know if people spoke up and told the truth, a lot of us have reoffended from trying to get money. The minimum wage jobs, the under the table jobs have not been enough. And sometimes you do things and you reoffend. And that has happened to me within the nine years of being home. I reoffended again, and thank God I didn't go back to prison. But that kind of made me get my life like all the way turned. And oh yeah, so what happened in that case? Um, were, you work, just, were you working your two minimum wage jobs? Well, I was working a minimum yeah. wage job, and I wasn't getting enough money. And I ended up getting involved, taking someone to get take taking someone to go stealing and they got my license plate uh, so i got charged my car got in a bunch of trouble i got in a bunch of trouble for that but i looked at it as a sober wake-up call lesson because i didn't get sent back to prison and that right there is what made me turn my life around so that was a good um or a lucky happenstance like That's wh- right. why did they not reincarcerate you um what happened was because of people like hakeem out here pushing for different they had a um they had some kind of program going on in in the court that if um, you had a prior record and you reoffended again, I basically did this program, and um, the program kept me out of prison. Okay. It took a lot of my money. Um, of course, you have to pay. So my minimum wage job, I basically started working for the court again. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you get involved with the criminal system so it sounds like you needed more money so this time you picked up another minimum wage job Mm -hmm. and so how what was your transition or what was your path to jackson college um how i got here to college is because i started thinking about the ged that i left home from prison nine years ago and i thought god how come nobody ever told me to further educate since i've been home no one ever so education wasn't strong in your family no not at all are you a first-time college student? I, I am. Congratulations. I am. And it was a decision that I made because of my family composition, how no one in my family went to college, how this was always a barrier. And, and how did you have that conversation with yourself? Um, or did somebody just ask you? Something. Or? My mom died this month two years ago. Sorry to hear that. And so when she died, I started realizing, oh, my God, it goes just like that. Like, you're well one moment, and you're down the next, and you can die. Yeah. I mean, that's how it's going to go for pretty much all of us if you don't get killed or murdered. But when I saw that happen to my mom, I decided, oh, my God, I got to do something to change the composition of my family. Like, I need to break generational curses here. All of us have to do that when something is going on in our family over and over again. And for me, it was education and criminal. It goes together. If you're not educated, you're not in the running of the way that they have fixed the world. And so I kept thinking, if I don't do something to get better, I'm going to be the same and possibly go backwards. I want to move forward. So that is where college light bulb came over my head. Like, it's never too late. 
No. Some... Did, you, did you know Hakeem before this point? Oh, yeah. Okay. I knew Hakeem before. You saw the... kind of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And he was really proud of me, too, when I decided that I'm going to go and get myself let's, enrolled. Let's try this college yeah. thing. Yeah. I'm going to go get myself enrolled in college, see what it's all about, if I can fit myself in there and just learn things from the ground up because it is always better late than never. And it's going to be a lot of people come home from prison like I did, and they're not going to be thinking about re-educating themselves or coming into college, but it should be the pretty much the first thing that we do to people that are coming out of college. We, I mean, coming out of prison, we need to direct them here to colleges so that they can learn the skills I've been out for nine years and I don't have any skills. Yeah, so it's like it sounds like your path here was through Hakeem in a way. What was your reception as a formerly incarcerated person at a college? Did and I know the college actually has has a really great uh, they prison have education pro- program. They have. I didn't come through through their prison education program because they don't have that here quite for women as strongly as they do for men. But I know when I came here, my story was just out there. They knew about my story. And this college has encouraged me in so many ways that I have not dropped out or I have not left and felt like this is not worthy of anything. So I have been here for over a year working on my degree. I have, you know, over a year left to continue working, but... Oh, and what degree? I'm working on business degree. Nice. In business administration, yeah. I think we should all work on that because... When you have a felony background, coming in and getting your own business degree will be helpful for you later. Yeah, because you can start your own company. Or I mean, whatever no, yeah, you nobody's not going to buy. No, nobody's not going to not buy your product because you're a felon. That's but right. But they might not hire you. See? Yeah. And I think that's... We, we have to find some kind of way to be impactful on the world of people to be forgiving once we come home from prison. And how, how did you feel that the, the rest of the students dealt with you? Did, did a lot of people know your story? Oh, yeah. Um, right away, I found a way to get right into the college and find a way to tell my story. What better way you, than so to you're do just it, owning it. Yeah. To, than to do it right here on campus. So I found my way here within the first 60 days of being on campus. I found my way to the multicultural director here. I let them know what I was doing, what I had been through, and immediately I was able to get in and talk to a group of strong young girls here that are, um, I think they're called the sister Sisterhood Ministry or something like that they have going on here. No, the Sisters of Merit, because they have the Men of Merit too, but I got right in. I was able to speak with these ladies. I made a great impact on them, and I'm doing that in the community as well. Very cool. So what do you want to do with your business degree? Well, right now I'm working with women and children. I started an organization from the ground up called Partial to Girls. Really? Um, It's about 20, 25 of us women in there. And what we do is we just take action on any issues going on in our community. People reach out to us. I mean, we've helped. I can't count anymore how many people we've been able to help, how many girls we've helped to transition from being sexually abused, from leaving their home to have to go to another home so is this an informal organization or, it it's or the 501c3 nonprofit? not yet, yet but i'm going to turn it to that there you go i'm going to turn degree it to might that. help that's right it's going to help me so i like to talk about what i'm doing because i want people to be hopeful about what they can do yeah tell me tell me all about it well 
I've been home for nine years, and I'm going to tell you some things I've been able to do since being home. Um, this year, I will be doing my third sock drive for children. We do schools. Like, we are literally getting get children socks. warm at school. Um, I just won the Susan B. Anthony Leadership Award about six months ago in Congratulations. June. Is that through the state? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I um yeah I don't know the history of Susan B. Anthony. Is she a Michigan Michigan person or yeah? What, well, what? she's she's she did some really great things back in history as far as slavery and helping slaves. So me being associated with her name and winning an award, I feel really proud of that one there. Yeah. Um, I'm also vice chair of Jackson Citizen Advisory Council. We have done a lot of major work in Jackson. We just had a huge summer fest that brought out over 400 people. Um, we just put a huge art mural up on Martin Luther King um, Boulevard Street here in Jackson. We chose some people in the community who had done some great things that are no longer with us. We had them painted up on this beautiful mural. Um, Hakeem was a part of that too. Really great work we did on that. I'm proud of that. Um, I also am the founder of the Parcel to Girls group organization. And I just last night finished up a presentation that I put together for Hakeem's um, trauma series. I did the trauma in African-American girls. And it was a really good presentation. I'm proud of myself. I think a lot of people... Well, I don't think I know a lot of women got help from that because they contacted me. Nice. And let me know. So you're pretty effectively shattering the image of what an ex-con is. I'm shattering it. Yeah. I'm shattering it not only as a woman, but I'm shattering it as a black woman. I'm shattering it just like you're shattering. I mean, you're here today, and I'm already encouraged by you saying what you were locked up for, and we're we're literally sitting here doing a podcast. Yeah, how crazy is and that? It isn't crazy. It's because we deserve to live again. Absolutely. It's, it's just so simple. Like, we deserve to live again. Even sex offenders, murderers, we deserve to live again. <laughs> yeah, we definitely deserve to live again. You know, we, we completed our sentence. Mm -hmm. We should be able to shake that off, you know, learn our lesson and move on. And move on. So what's your your favorite program you're running? So you've, you're running, you're doing so many things. Yeah, I'm doing so many things and I can't choose a favorite because I love them all because all of them are bringing people forward. And how do you find time to go to school when you're doing 10 other things? Well, I'm going to tell you, my biggest motivation for energy is I remember the steel cement cell that I was in. <laughs> I remember that flat mattress that was standard for all prisoners, the cracked up, broken. The stainless steel toilet? I remember the cold stainless steel toilet, the cold winters with a lack of heat, you know, like we were nothing, like we didn't need to be heated up properly. I remember being very hot. So it's all those things that drive me. I remember those things as a woman. I remember other women crying, getting bad news about their children in prison, where we are not allowed to just call when we feel like. You know how that goes if yeah. you were there. So it's just a lot, and that keeps me energized. Nice. There'll be more and more younger women and men that are going to need people like me and you. 
They don't need the big systems. They need people like me and you to help them and show them the direction in which they can go and that they can be free and stay free like you and I. So it sounds like you're really involved in like kind of a lot of leadership and direct action programs. Yes. Are, are you in the advocacy ha- campaign also with him? I, I, well, I'm going to, like he said, he's going to try to get me there next year. But as of right now, I'm just advocating on my using my own voice on my own time like I do. I keep my Facebook busy. I get a lot of engagement there on my Facebook from people because my goal is to keep our young children out of prison. And we can do that. We don't, we can do that. That's not a big deal. All we need to do is what we're doing now, using our own voice, telling our own stories and taking every opportunity that we get to talk to children. Yeah, your, your story is so important. It's like, I've been there, it's messed up. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the life. It's not, and that's what we have to continue to do. A lot of people are ashamed to talk about what got them incarcerated, why, you know, and that is where freedom is at. Your story of your pain that you have already been through and you are free now, that is the release for someone else. And if we don't find courage to start telling why we did what we did, what happened to us, did anything bad happen when we were incarcerated? It's these stories. Did we see anything bad when we were incarcerated? These are the raw stories that will help other people and children especially not to even want to go to where we went yeah so tell me about one of your other programs kind of like what do you do there how do you attract your clients maybe some so great success i'll talk stories. a little bit about um i'll talk a little bit about jackson advisory council um there's about 20 of us in that group as well and we're an open public group and what we do is we go out we go to city council we speak against them and some of the things that they are doing in our neighborhoods. We speak out against homelessness. We have a lot of homelessness going on yeah, right now. Yeah, I was now. gonna ask, like, in Seattle is, is a major problem. What, what's it like over here? Oh my gosh, it is, we're, we're much smaller than Seattle, but I bet our homeless problem is just as big as Seattle. So with do, all do, the- Do you have people living in tents? And yeah. you, your winters are so harsh. So what do they do in the winter? So. I'm glad you asked that question because it does need to get talked about. We only have two shelters here. One of them is for women and one of the shelters are like the main for the family. And it is very small, like very small. It houses under a hundred families. So that should show you how small it is. Um, They're sleeping on streets, on benches, behind buildings, in cars if they have them. People are sleeping anywhere anywhere they can. And just because you're sleeping anywhere you can does not mean you're warm. <laughs> Definitely not. You Do you understand? It does not mean you're warm just because you're sleeping anywhere you can. We have to end homelessness. It's not right. No, no human being should be sleeping on the ground. No human being should not have anywhere to sleep just because they don't have money. Money is paper. We need to find a way to end homelessness, some kind of way. Somehow as a community come some together. Some kind of way because, you know, you and I are split between states, but yet we see the same stuff. You turn your news on, it's everywhere. 
So it's, it's something to homelessness and it has to end. If we all know about it, and I'm telling you what it is, why people are not taking it serious. A lot of people haven't felt homelessness. I have, and many other Americans have. It is horrific to not have a home to lay in. If you had a home and you didn't have a bed, a couch, or a chair, you would not care because you had a home. Yeah, that's true. But when you don't have a home, you don't have a house, a chair, a bed, a sh you don't have shelter. Yeah, and a lot of people are just one paycheck away from being homeless. A lot of people, and they're scared. Yeah. People are working at their job right now afraid if they're going to lose their home next month, if they're going to lose their little apartment that they're renting. Some people don't have family support. These agencies are locking up and going home at 4 and 5, and people are out here hurting so bad. And this is what the buildings are supposed to be for. The systems are supposed to be for emergencies. We're not getting help because people are homeless. Yeah, it's terrible. It is terrible. So this is going to be your, your next project? <laughs> I'm going to definitely. Homelessness is going to be number one always on my list because I just think a whole bunch of people can advocate for that and we can reach to the top and we can do something about that. Sounds like you might run for... Uh... Um, what kind, I, what, kind of, what kind of positions to, do you have you could run for? Well, I see. I need to look into that yeah. because, you know, as you know, they have even blocked us out of that. We're, we're not even good enough people to run for certain things because of our felony. Oh, I, I didn't know there was barriers. Yeah. Okay. So. You can vote. You, like, when can you vote in, in Michigan? Is it after you're off probation or parole or is it I think it's after you're off probation or parole and then there's no timing after that you just need to yeah. be off like every state has different mm -hmm. like some states every you can, yeah. state has different rules and uh, that sucks we need rules but we don't need so many when it comes to us yeah you're still a citizen of America. I'm still a citizen <laughs> and I did my time yeah that's all I, that keeps rolling through my mind is how people are doing their time and getting out to more barriers. It's funny, uh, there's a woman in, in Washington State, her name's Tara Simmons, and she's actually running for, I'm not sure which state representative, but she'll be the first formerly incarcerated state rep. Don't tell me that. I might have to do <laughs> something in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's super active in the legislature. Like, like She swims in those waters. So wow. there's no reason you couldn't. I, I guess you just... I don't know how she does it. That's just her magic. Right. So. But you know what? Think about it. We need to be there. Yeah, you're a voice. People need to be there that have been incarcerated, that because, have felt that kind of pain. I mean, we don't want people to think that we want to be brushed with a feather and talk, you know, talked up like we're just beautiful. We know we're not. We know we committed offense, but... I'm talking about the after part. I mean, if yeah. you've had me in a cell for years, I don't want to hear nothing else when I come home. I just need to rebuild my life again. And you can offer a really unique perspective. Like when they, when a, when a group of people are, are sitting around talking about sentence length and structure and this and that, and they have no concept of what it's like to actually be there. Right. Like to them, it's just a number on a piece of paper. Yeah. Hey, we'll give them 25 years yeah. because eh, that sounds good. But 25 years is a lifetime. It is. And if, if it's 25 years for marijuana possession... Maybe that's a little extreme. But it's happening. But it's happening. It's happening, and we're not doing anything about it. People are forgetting that we make the numbers of this world. 
And there are only several politicians, several leaders, but we make the world. And if we were not so divided, we would be so much better. We don't have to live together in state and state to agree and come in power against the same thing. And that's what we're lacking. Like, I can't be worried about what's going on in Seattle, but if you give me a call, text, email, and let me know what's going on in Seattle, and it matches up with what's going on here in Michigan and Jackson where I'm at, we can power up right there. Yeah, and Chicago's right next door. They're doing, okay. they're doing great things in Chicago. They're doing great things in Chicago. And that's not that, I guess it's three hours away, but do you have uh, good connections to Chicago? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. Chicago, I went, I've, been, I've only been twice, but the two times that I have been there, I just want to go back. They it, are fighting. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful city, but they're also, ugh, they got a lot of crime and stuff going on too, but they're also fighting back in yeah. Chicago. Strong, and I love that. So you just have to stack that on top of all the other things you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what we got to get doing in Jackson. See, this Just Leadership USA is pulling Hakeem away a lot. But guess what? Whenever he comes back, he's got this new... You guys, you guys are he's doing it. He's all fired it. up. He's all fired and, and, up. And you're applying, right? Yeah, he's all fired up. And he's got all this new stuff you guys are doing. And I love it because I'm watching incredible people rebuild their lives after incarceration yeah. like they should it excites me because you're human you're just a human being we're just who, people huh who have been in a dark area at one time and that is over now you shouldn't be held down anymore and we just have interesting stories that's all there's a phrase i like it it goes uh it's better to have a dark past than a dim future i love it yeah think about that when you just let that seep in I love it. Absolutely. You know, so now that we're here, we got some baggage, or we just got, you know, we learned the lessons of life, so move on. And that's why it's really important to, like, don't let this, the worst, the worst decision you ever make define you forever. Uh, and you know what? If we don't help more people, more and more people are not going to heal from what you just spoke. Definitely. You're going to get out of incarceration, come out and face the world and the things that are waiting for you, and you are not going to heal. You're going to feel so heavy and down and unworthy. I had to fight all of that stuff when I got home, and I know you probably did too. Yeah, it's like, and in my case, and it, it's, that's like the tragedy of this entire situation is I had a really great family support. When I got out, I had a girlfriend to drive me around to get my license, to get some clothes. And so I was really lucky. The transition part was pretty smooth. Mm -hmm. But it also really made me think, I, I was cognizant, like, wow, if I didn't have a dad to help me out here and I didn't have a girlfriend to drive me here, shit, this is... See what that, I mean? That's, that's fucked up. And there are people coming out with nobody. They yeah, you have got been, nothing. They have been kept in the prison for so long that when they do get to get out they don't have any more support everyone has forgot them and yeah. written them off so they're coming out literally them against this whole big wide yeah. world that's against them we got to stop that yeah i got a scholarship that paid for my housing uh that paid for my food for the first few months of getting out so they i don't really, do that I, I really landed on my feet but if those programs didn't exist, and I was really lucky because very few people got into those programs. They don't exist. They yeah. don't exist here. I think you get $40 gate money in Washington. No. Here's 40 bucks. Here's a bus ticket. Good luck. 
And if you really wow. think about it, it's like, just imagine navigating your way through the world right this moment with 40 bucks. They're going to drop already. you in a city. And then they expect you. It's like, well, here's 40 bucks. Go figure it out. Yeah. So you're going to be homeless. You're not going to have a job. <laughs> but see, that's where I would like to see... If you're going to give me 40 bucks when I get out and tell me just go on, give me the 40 bucks and don't give me all this extra paperwork and rules and don't give me all the other stuff. Let me go on out there with that 40 bucks and make magic happen without you keeping up with me. Because again, reoffending and doing crimes again is an individual thing. No one can make you do that unless they have the physical control over you. But Pretty much when we get out, we are the rulers of this. And we can, so looking from 2009 to 2019 now, I have been the driver of this. It has brought me from there to now I'm right here interviewing with you and you're doing the same right now with me. So we have come from somewhere. So it is possible. Absolutely. And people just have to know that. But they're not going to know it if you and I don't take, just start taking over. These microphones are important. They reach people. And we have to reach the people that, I'm not trying to reach the college professor who's never been incarcerated. I'm not trying to reach the doctor or the lawyer. I am really trying to reach that person that has offended before maybe never offended and is thinking about it. Those are the people we're trying to reach. We're trying to end the mass incarceration. So have you seen a lot of your friends that you're incarcerated with transition out too? And, and have you, you know, I see you kind of shake your head. So it must've had some, some no, bad stories. What happens is Jackson, where we live, we are the central hub of all the prison systems in Michigan, all of them. Oh, there's like a, a prison oh, town? Yeah. A college. There's a college here, but it's also a prison town? It's also a prison. Um, we are the central hub. We have the central prison that when any crime is committed anywhere in Michigan, if you get sentenced to prison, you must go through Jackson first because okay. it is our quarantine system oh, okay okay well, they figure and out what then to do with you. when you're released because it's the central hub prison you will transition back to the jackson prison to even get out of the system to get home it's like no the, matter. the gate the prison so gate <laughs> what we don't have is advocating we don't have advocates for rehabilitation we don't have a good re-entry system but this jackson college has put one out Kudos to this Jackson College. They have a reentry program that is starting to pick up and work. I mean, like now they have so many staff. Prisoners yeah. are getting degrees right now before even getting home because of this college. Yeah, I heard about the degree program. What, what other kind of support do they offer? What they're doing is they're going, they're actually literally sending the, the instructors from the college out to the prisons and they are working right in there with the prisoners i mean sort of like how i'm going to school every day and i have a set schedule they have that in prison now yeah, that's what antoine was talking about and he's uh he says he loves it it's it's you know the why students are so hungry for knowledge. they're so hungry because guess what a lot of them went in with nothing 
And now you got people coming in here saying that I will help you to accomplish a degree before you even get home. Yeah, a lot of those people, you know, they never thought college was an option. Their, their first time college never was, it was thought never college a thing. was an option. So these are strides that are being made here that are the strides to be made in order to make change that we can see and feel. That's one of them. So I'm excited to know that now in the next few years, some men, not the women, but the men will be coming home from prison. Do you know what that means? That means they're coming home from prison with degrees and that's all they're gonna look at. They're not coming home anymore. Oh, what am I gonna do for money, feeling down and out. They're coming home to work that piece of paper. They got a little bit of hope. They got that hope. And, and what's the uh, the female incarceration rate in Michigan? Do you have ha um, a couple of female we prisons? We have one prison, and it holds up to 2,000 women, and it stays at the capacity of 2,000 women. Okay. Yeah, so we just have one. Thank goodness. We don't. I don't want to see like a whole bunch of women's. Pr if we start seeing that around the world, we all need to just cry. Yeah, I heard that the, the female incarceration rate was increasing. And it I, is. I, I, didn't, I didn't know much data behind that. It's increasing that. because of drugs. A lot of drug offenses. It, yeah, and it's increasing because of trauma. So tell me all about this trauma series you're working on. Okay, the trauma series we're working on, Hakeem started it. It's a year-long series, and we um, he, he picked several speakers for this. I was the speaker and the presenter for... Trauma in African-American black girls. Um, I presented on that last night about, uh, it was a really, really, I took it personal. I took it personal. It was a really, really impactful presentation where I presented trauma in black girls. I talked about what it was like growing up in poverty. Um, I talked about what it was like growing up, watching my parents divorce. Um, I talked about being sexually molested as a young girl. I talked about being incarcerated at a very young age because of all of that. All of that stuff equal to trauma. Now, are, are these, is this you and Hakeem talking to a group, or how do you... Oh, yeah. Um, what he did is he's partnered up with our local library here in Jackson, and we um, have a whole entire room there that seats about 30, 35 people. And this was the third series to come out mine. Yeah, I was number three. And each time we packed the room. So every month a different speaker comes out to speak on the trauma series okay. under a different category. And then how do people find out about you? Um, Hakeem, he, he just advertise this for the whole month he does the marketing for yeah it. and then we um all share it share it around and make sure that everybody knows about it and everybody that needs to be in there gets in there they've been very impactful it sounds like you want to scale it so how would you how would you expand this program um we are going to expand this program we're we're going to take this program from informing you about trauma is what we're doing and then we're going to turn around and we're going to show you how it is possible to heal from trauma. That is basically what we all have to do after any traumatic event in our life. You can't live on your trauma. Yeah, what kind of counselor, like what kind of training do you have to deliver these messages or have that conversation? So I delivered the 
black girl trauma off of my own experience. I did a lot of research and I pinned it up against my life, presented it very well. I'm proud of myself. But the other presenters are actually doctors. I mean, Hakeem has a, he's got coaches, oh, really? doctors. He's got quite a bit of us clinical. He's got some psychologists. So you kind this, of have a whole group of oh people Oh my gosh, come in. he's got us mixed up in there. He's got himself in there. Um, he's got someone in there that's coming to talk to us about diversity and inclusion. So this is like a panel discussion talking to the audience, or do you no, mix with the audience and do one-on-ones? We we did it. We we covered it all in one, believe it or not. Okay. The speaking part, we did the panel part, and then we did um, open questions. Yeah, okay. We did it all in one. And you know what? We taped this whole thing. All of them are taped. The library and Hakeem streams them live. Like, we have been getting thousands of viewers on these yeah you got to share those with me and i'll link them to yeah, this yeah so last night oh and maybe for the audio people they can only hear us uh can you direct them to a website or a youtube channel yeah um hakeem and the library hooked it up they have it hooked up to where you can go right in under our library or under my page or hakeem's and you can see the full videos okay and what, what's your page here um, i'm Facebook? just under selena taylor and hakeem's under just hakeem and you can find us easy on there. Okay. And and I'm going to want to find you too. Are you on there? I am. Okay, yeah, we got to be friends. Absolutely. That's next. Well, super exciting. Yes, it is. So are you going to be coming back here to visit us, or was this just it? Well, I, I went to Chicago, and then okay. I, I, I bebopped over here from Chicago. Oh, okay. But now they got friends here, why not? Right. That's right. Yeah. My, grand, I, my grandparents lived in Kalamazoo, and that's not so far away. So. And not only that, you know... You talk to Andre in here, and you talk to Hakeem. This is a interesting college. This is an interesting town. You should come back. Yeah, I I, I think I drove past the Turnpike for Hope College. Mm -hmm. How far away is Hope College? You're not even thirty five minutes away from there. Okay, pretty You're close. You're not. You're really close. So the funny story is, a professor at Hope College who wrote a bunch of psychology textbooks. He's the first person. He was in my pen pal from prison. Wow. And, and while I was incarcerated, he sent me a thousand bucks to start the PSF. So his name was David Myers. That just touched my heart. Yeah, it was just like, because I never wanted to ask him for money because I was incarcerated, but he knew I was trying to start this nonprofit. And so he just, like, out of the blue, sent me a thousand bucks. He's like, good luck with that thing you're doing. Talk to me. Is this your nonprofit? Yeah, the Prison Scholar Fund. Oh my gosh. So this is what you do. This is what you love. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, you and I, I so we just talked. It. So we just talked about you and like we. Yeah, we really I got We're met. done with Selena. <laughs> I got to hear a little bit about you now. Yeah. So long story short, I was incarcerated for about fifteen years. In my case, my dad had a checkbook, so I was able to go to school. And while I was going to school, I discovered a lot of people would do the same thing because they saw me studying. They mm -hmm. saw the changes happening to me, but they didn't have a dad with a checkbook. The Pell Grant was taken away from prisoners in '94, so you just had luck. Um, so I tried to start the Prison Scholar Fund from prison. And I just struggled for years trying to do this until David Meyer stepped in. And he's like, hey, here's a thousand bucks. That gave us enough money to get our 501c3 status, a little bit of money to write grants, and we had postage money. And then wow. from prison, we raised about 60 grand, helped 110 people. Then I got out in 2015. My rebirthday was May 7th. So that was pretty cool. Oh, that's so, really cool. So I was able to get two degrees from Penn State before I got out. <laughs> wow. Then when I got out, I went through the University of Washington's nonprofit management program, and then I got into a social entrepreneurship program at Stanford, which is 
if you can imagine after 15 years you find yourself at Stanford, that's pretty... That's pretty impressive. That's, that's pretty amazing. And the only reason all of that happened was because I had the opportunity to go to school. You know, wow. of course I busted my ass, but the point was if that program wasn't there or that opportunity wasn't there, I'd just be watching TV and playing Pinochle. That's awesome. That is so encouraging. So yeah, we're trying to do more of that, you know, share the story. Share. That's why I want to share your story because we're doing cool things. You're doing some amazing things and let's all talk about it. That's right. So where are you going to go after this? Back to Chicago. I'm going to interview a, uh, a couple other people. For real? Yeah, and then fly so back to Seattle. So do you find them, or do they know about you? Do you find these people? I just to, kind of find them, yeah. And then you get their stories. You know yeah. these stories are valuable. Yeah. They're real. Yeah, we're a storytelling culture. That's, yeah. That's right. All right. Our stories are real, unique, and amazing, and people have counted us out for far too long. So I love all of this. I really, really appreciate what you're doing. I think that what you're doing is a part of the healing. A lot of people are intimidated by this stuff, and this is what they shouldn't be intimidated by. This is how to kick your intimidations, but is doing this, what you're doing. And that's probably where you got that passion for doing it. You were feeling better? Yeah, something. I just... uh I just ran with this it. microphone and had a love affair. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, thank you so much for your time. It was yes, great chatting. Thank you. We'll talk again. We will. You know we will. All right. Thank you.